This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. It's the last stand, and here is your host, Brian Custer. It is the last day. We bring you the biggest names in the sport. I'm Brian Custer. Hey, joining us today, we got a boxing legend. This man is one of the greatest trainers to ever do it. Now, commentator, he's the one and only Teddy Atlas. Hello, Teddy. Welcome to the last stand. So glad I was able to get here, Brian. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. <laughs> When you're, <laughs> unfortunately, you're learning. You're learning that um, I'm not joking when I say I'm a caveman. When I say that my 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 skills are limited, and um, they they are completely limited to boxing, understanding the psychology of boxing, training fighters. Thank God I know that because technology and this other stuff and as simple as getting on a podcast with a good man like you it ain't easy <laughs> and, and, and it wasn't easy and my my son-in-law he he had to come down from upstairs him and his and my daughter live with us with their beautiful two children our grandchildren they he i had to disturb his his work call to come down here and get me on but I'm grateful. You're here. And that's why we got you, because your boxing knowledge is unlimited. So, you know, let's get into some of these fights that have been going on. Obviously, Devin Haney, uh, Vasily Lomachenko got it on for, uh, obviously, all of the belts that Danny, uh, Haney has. Oh, uh, a Haney win over Loma says what about Devin Haney? Well, I, I would have been, I, I don't mean to be the fly in the ointment, but I always have to be true to my beliefs and my feelings. I wish it was five years earlier for Loma because then, then I would, you know, this person, this boxing primate would, um, would, would take his hat and tip it two times. I, I still tip it once, uh, you know, if he wins. And I think Loma, I think Loma is a little long in the tooth and I think Haney should win, but you never know with a, Former great champion like Loma. You never know. You never know when they're going to beckon those boxing gods to bring back the power for one night. Kind of like Samson when he had his hair chopped off, you know? And, and, and then that one time he asked, please, please give me the power one more time. And it was given to him. So sometimes former champions that aren't quite what they used to be, a little longer than two, they can sometimes summon up that former greatness for one last night, my, my mentor, Costamato, used to always tell me that. And, and I've witnessed it over the 50 years in this business that I've been in. So he can only beat this version, obviously, of Loma. If he beats Loma, I just say he's on the path to becoming a very significant champion. Is that fair? Because, you know, bidding... Cambosis twice hasn't, you know, put him quite there yet. 
we're all works in progress for the most part. And he's a work in progress still. He's still the He just got the title. I think he improved in the second fight. I thought Cambosis was better in the second fight. And I thought Haney had to be better. And he was better in the second fight. Winning titles improve you. The old timers used to tell me all the time, Teddy, a guy wins a title, 30% he becomes better. Automatically, he becomes 30% better. Because 75% of this game is what you believe. It's your mind. It's your psyche. And when you win the title, now you know you belong. Even though you could have said you belonged before, you didn't know till you knew. And now you know. And it opens the gateway for greater things. And that's what I'm looking for, for such a talented kid like Haney. And he seems like a good kid too. I'm, I'm looking for greater things. And it's a journey. It's a road. It's a path. And it's a process. And he got the title. He had his first defense against the same guy that he wanted against. Now he's going to fight almost a legendary guy in some ways. I mean, two-time gold medalist, three-division champion, won the world title in his third fight, uh, 400 amateur fights, only lost one. We're talking about Lomachenko. So now this is, again, part of the process. He goes and he wins in a good fight, convincingly, let's say. He's solidly. He wins the fight against Lomachenko. Again, as I just said, he's on a path for me, for Teddy Atlas, to become a substantial champion. What, what does it say about Loma if Loma rises up and beats Devin Haney? Another chapter in his book of greatness. You know, I mean, I know the book is a long, but it's a damn good book. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, a lot of people say, well, you know, only X amount of fights. All top fights. All top guys. And he made, if we forget, and we go back, he made guys that were terrific fighters. You know, Rigondeaux was a little too old, maybe, and, and maybe a little too small. But still, he was a hell of a fighter. He was a two-time gold medalist, too. I mean, this is a guy that was an extraordinary defensive fighter, great puncher, great counterpuncher, great body puncher. And Lomachenko, I mean, he did like the Kung Fu guys used to do on those big, great Kung Fu movies, Brian, back in the day, where they go, yeah, and they reach into the guy's chest and pull his heart out. I mean, I never saw, I never saw a guy, they called him the Matrix, um, Lomachenko, you know, I, I would almost call him the, the, the Kung Fu man because I never saw any fighter make so many good, solid fighters give up. Mm. And, and he did it. He did it with his skills. He did it with his mind, his persistence, his pressure. You know, you know how he did it? When you can't hit a guy and he's hitting you and he keeps coming and he keeps coming and he keeps coming, you know what you're doing? You're not just winning Mounts on a scorecard. You're slowly and surely taking the hope away from somebody that he has a chance. That's what you're doing. And when you take hope away and the hope is gone, well, then there, there's nothing to make the guy stand up. Mm. Then, then you're truly one of those where we used to talk about ghost ships out at sea with nobody on deck. Just floating around, just empty. 
You're just an empty body if you don't have hope. And Lomachenko, better than anyone I've seen, used to do that consistently. So he's built his own little legend. And again, it's a short book, but it's a bestseller. And so to your again, directly to your question, if he if he wins, there's another chapter. And then you start to say the book's getting a little longer. It's getting a little how long will the book go? How long will the book go? It's already yeah. good. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. We, we just re- we just recently had a fight not too long ago. Rolly Romero won the WBA super lightweight title, got the ninth round stoppage of Ismael Barroso. What did you make of the stoppage by Tony Weeks in that fight? Another black eye for boxing. Bud Sugar, who I miss, I he was a friend of mine, and he was a boxing icon. And he was a character, but he was a boxing icon. He had the hat, he had the cigar, the whole thing. And I remember him saying, you know, boxing can no longer stand any more black eyes because it's now the Cyclops. It has no more eyes to blacken. And I, I felt down. I just felt down. I felt down. I felt sad about my sport, sport that I put my whole life into almost 50 years, as I said earlier. And and all uh, all of us sport. But for myself, selfishly, I just felt down that, once again, people are going to walk away saying, there goes the credibility of that sport. A great sport. That you should a great sport and people just say yeah it's not credible you know how many i i'm a caveman so i don't go on and see all the responses on the internet but every once in a while somebody will take a snapshot i i learned what that is a snapshot and send it to me teddy take a look at these comments and i say i'm done with boxing i see i see i'm done with boxing that what do you expect that's boxing it's a corrupt sport. What do you expect? Uh, you know, uh, and I'm like, wow, that's the saddest part of it. And, and you know what's even sadder is when people just shrug their shoulders, like the one comment I just told you, where I said, oh, what do you expect? It's boxing. We should never get to that state where when something's wrong or perceived to be wrong, that we just accept it. When we do that, we all become less. When we accept less in our lives, less of standards of morality, of proper living, of right and wrong, when we accept that, first of all, we become in our own little way complicit with what's going on, that we, we just, we don't do anything, we, we don't try to do anything about it at all, and then we just shrug it off, walk away from it, accept it. No, no, that, that, and this is a great sport. This is a sport where I once, one time years ago, somebody asked me, Teddy, tell us what Teddy Atlas thinks in in a synopsis of your thoughts of what boxing is to you, what what it stands for you. I know there's so much to it, but if you just had to put, you know, just like a snapshot, uh, encapsulated, and I said, no matter where you come from in life, no matter how you think life has treated you wrong, and it and damn well may have treated you wrong, no matter what you didn't have in life, no matter any of the inequities that life might have dumped on you a little bit here and there, 
on one given night, if you care enough, if you train hard enough, if you're determined enough, you can get into a ring and you can have your hands raised as a champion of the world and you can make life at that moment fair. And that's, and, I mean, that's the greatness of this sport, that you can, you can make life fair, that wherever you came from, whatever you didn't have, no matter how life might have crapped on you, that you can make it all right by getting in that ring, that, that chamber of truth. And, and I'm seeing that diminished. Mm. I'm seeing that shipped away at with, with a, a fighter that was ahead on all scorecards who had dropped Romero. He got hurt. You know, well, one guy, okay, he gets dropped. So now it's even. And then with the follow-up, the punches are missing. Two, three punches. I mean, they're missing. They're not landing. Now, it's, why is he stopping it? It, it, it? it makes you, if nothing else, it has the look of impropriety in a sport that has been proven to have improprieties, unfortunately. So if nothing else, it has that look. It's not a good look. And you know what's, the, what's just, as I said, Maybe the worst thing about this whole thing, that's what we're talking about right now. Instead of talking about the fight, that's what we're talking about right now. Yeah. And I don't think there's a per I had my podcast the other day and everybody was going crazy. And I said, I'm going to ask you one question. If I was a litigator in a court of law and I was putting forward to the jury whether or not you know, Weeks is guilty. And, 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 I, and I'm not the jury, and I'm not the arbiter, the almighty arbiter of this. I get it. I know. But just making, you know, that, that kind of scenario, if you were hypothetical, the one thing I would say is that lawyer to the jury, is there anyone sitting in this jury today Knowing what you know about the sport, seeing what you've seen for years with the sport, the improprieties, everything else, is there anyone that thinks that if the roles were reversed the other way, where the guy who wasn't a house fighter, the nine to one underdog, is there anybody who thinks that he would have been given the same treatment by the referee, that they would have stepped in? and stop the fight on right. Romero. And you know what? Nobody could put their hand up and say, yeah, yeah, I think so, Teddy. And that's it. I mean, that, that, that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good point there, Ted. Um, since we've, we've been talking kind of like that lightweight division, you know, Tank Davis took out Ryan Garcia. He proclaimed himself. He said, I am the new face of boxing. What do you think? I think Canelo and Fury might have an argument over that. <laughs> uh, they, a little bit. And, and the history of the sport tends to lean towards a heavyweight kind of, you know, being that face a little bit. What I will confirm, what I will validate, what I will second, 
is that he's a hell of a fighter. That that he he's he's much more than what a lot of people thought he was, which was just a good puncher. He's a complete son of a gun. And not just physically and technically, but mentally. He thinks like a fighter. He behaves like a fighter in that ring. He 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 is patient when he has to be patient. He is always contained and controlled. You know, I remember Michael Jordan, I think the greatest basketball player of all time. Everyone has their, their different, you know, subjective. But I remember one time he was saying, one of your greatest responsibilities is to never let the game get ahead of you. Never get outside the game. Never get outside the game. And he never lets the game, he being Davis, never lets it get away from him. Never lets it get ahead of him. He, he stays contained. He stays controlled. You know, uh, he won't go in there. Even when he's being aggressive, he's taking little steps because he's, all along the way, he's, he's, he's aggressively cautious. <laughs> aggressively cautious where he, he understands the domain that he's in. There's never a moment where you don't understand. He's cerebral, I guess is what I'm saying. He, he's cerebral inside that ring. And all of that, those qualities, the, the mindset, the, the physical ability to have good hand speed, to have great power, but also to be so dimensional. Because people have done a good job, you know, as far as whoever was really in charge of teaching him and, you know, helping form him from a technical basis. He, he is so complete. He can go get you. He could go inside. He could go outside. He could use the ring, which he does often, and he can counterpunch. He he can do so many things. He can time you. He can go to the body and the head, of course. And, you know, and he finishes well. And the funny thing about him is when you hear the name Tank, I mean, you, you know, Tank, oh, Tank, whoa, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you're not you're, you're not thinking, you know, quiet stuff. You're not thinking, you know, uh, cerebral stuff. You're not. You're really not. Let's be honest. You're not thinking, okay, a guy that's, you know, cerebral and a guy that's contemplative. Uh, but but he's all those things, too. That's the weird thing about it. That's the funny. I find that very interesting. And I Absolutely. and I find it significant. And and also, he you wouldn't think when you hear tank. You wouldn't think this guy's Tinker Toes, you know, where where he's going to be balleting around, he's going to be doing any Muhammad Ali stuff. But you know what? He doesn't do it at that level, but he does it. He does it. He he takes that tank, and all of a sudden, he takes it on the peripheral of the ring, and and he and he puts it on wheels. He 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 takes it off the caterpillar stuff you know, those treads, and he puts it on wheels and he moves around until he finds the right spot. I said one time, I, f I forget who he was doing against, probably Garcia, and he's moving around and might even been Romero. And he's moving around, he's moving around. And I and I said, you know what? He he reminds me of, Brian, you're getting together. He reminds me of the old time janitors, the, the superintendents in, in the big buildings, those big buildings. And they had a big brass key ring about this big with a thousand keys on it. And But every key, they knew that that key was for a certain door to get into the building. When he's moving around, I'm saying, 
He's the super with that big key ring, and he's looking for the right key to get in the door. <laughs> You're great with the analogies. I love it. I love the analogies. And and he finds the right key. He, he does. Does, He doesn't walk into a into a room and like bang, you know. Oh my God! I shouldn't open that door. And and a lot of guys do. Romero walked into that room. You know, uh, uh, Garcia walked into that room. You know, (laughs) so he don't. And that's part of what separates him and and makes him a guy that's one of the most complete fighters right now of all time. Well, one guy, and you mentioned him, who kind of took offense to that because the media obviously went to him was Canelo. But then he has this fight with Ryder, and there are a number of people felt like after watching it, like, ooh, Canelo's declining. What do you think? Canelo's declining. (laughs) That's what I think. He's declining. Uh, In his fight with Triple G, I thought he showed that he was declining with a very old Triple G. Old great fighter, but an old Triple G. He showed decline. And against Ryder, I'm taking nothing away from him. He's a fighter. He's a gutsy, gritty fighter, you know, from across the pond, Ryder. And and he's a southpaw. And I give him credit for being that gutsy guy. Um, but I don't know if, again, if I'm the arbiter, I'm the the lawyer putting a case together about whether or not Canelo has declined. I say to the jury, does anyone believe five years ago that Canelo wouldn't have gotten rid of Ryder? That, that's the question I would put forward. And I, I, for one, I know a little bit about this business. I hope I, for one, would say, yeah, put my hand up. I think he would have. I think he would have. And so taking nothing away from Ryder and how gritty he was and how gutsy and determined, he behaved like a fighter. And and it's not just about fighting like one. It's about behaving like one. And Ryder did that. But Canelo, he, he's declined. He throws one punch at a time. He, he, he his feet are, his feet would never... He was never that fast with his feet, but now he's even slower at closing gaps. And he doesn't do as much as he used to do. He doesn't put punches together, but he doesn't counterpunch as much. He doesn't time you as much. And it's pretty much, you know, just you got the jab. He's got a good jab, accurate jab. He's looking to go to the body with that good left hook to the body or the right hand and looking to land something you know, big, but his workload has dropped. And when you get older, those things drop. Those numbers drop. That's a sign of getting older. That's part of it. And he doesn't finish like he used to. He doesn't go after you when there's an opportunity to do more, when there's an opportunity to build on top of what you just put out there. You know, you just you just put forward a, you built a first floor. Now you want to go build a second floor. And then you want to build a third. And the great ones, they want to build a freaking penthouse. You know, they just keep building, keep building. And in, in a responsible way, like in Sugar Ray Leonard, one of the greats of all time. And in, he had all those skills, deep and everything, but he went to get to you. He wanted that penthouse. He was, you weren't freaking getting away with just hanging out on his first floor and being a guest. He didn't allow guests in his house. He freaking got rid of guests. And it's like Canelo allows you to be a guest. 
in his house. Like, like he allows you to survive. He allows you to hang around. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't pursue you anymore like he used to. You know, where where like he'll fall short, maybe he'll throw a jab in the right hand, and then you you back out a little bit. He doesn't pursue it. He's it's like he's satisfied. Okay, you're leaving me alone, I'll leave you alone. That that bought me time, that bought me uh, enough of an edge to be ahead, and and I'm satisfied with that. And you know what that shows me? That shows me a deterioration, not just physically, but emotionally. And mentally, where it happens, I've seen it, and you've seen it, where guys have made so much money, they've had so much success, that it's, the urgency is gone. That's part of what was their success. There was an urgency to what they were doing. There, there was a fire to what they were doing. That was part of it. Who could argue with that? It wasn't just they were good. They were better than good because they, of that, that spark, that fire, that desire to get to you, more than a desire, that, that need, that urgency. Mm -hmm. it, it's not there no more. You can see that it's been, you know, it's been taken away. And I could understand why. You know, when you make that much money and have accomplished that much and have reached the status of like godlike, especially in his in his country, with all those with the great history of the great Mexican fighters there, yeah, he, he I think he's satisfied. Hey, everybody! I'm Brian Custer. Our next partner, Athletic Greens. You know, I take AG One by Athletic Greens literally every day. You think I got like this overnight? No, it's because of AG1. And I wanted to try it because I wanted better gut health, increased energy, immune system support. I take AG1 in the morning before starting my day, and it really makes me feel like I'm doing something good for my body, like covering all my nutritional bases. And it's great before your workouts. It's made with 75 super high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients that deliver benefits like mood, immune system, and sleep support, sustained energy, and really so much more. You know, really quickly, I noticed that it helps me with improved digestion, and I feel great, and it helps support my sleep. I like that AG1 is delivered monthly, so I don't even have to think about it. So if you want to take ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs to go with your first purchase. All you've got to do, go to athleticgreens.com slash last stand. That's athleticgreens.com slash last stand. And check it out. Who would you say most complete fighter in boxing right now is? Tank Davis is up there. Tank Davis is definitely up there. Um, I, I I would say Bevel. Bevel Bevel's up there. Bevel Bevel can give a clinic on the sweet science. He he give a clinic. You know, if he has to go walk to you, he'll go walk to you. He'll go to you. But he he also box the the crap out of you all night too. You know, frustrate the hell out of you. Use every inch of the ring if he has to, you know. Um, he he's he's a complete son of a gun. I mean, I don't see too much he does wrong, to be honest. And Tank too, I don't see much that Tank really 
I don't, I don't see too much that he does wrong. And and I maybe a notch below, but in a way, and people are gonna go nuts. Yo, I'm saying the monster is a notch below. I'm, I'm not knocking him. I love the monster. Uh, what I'm saying is that he's a guy that's. Never out of position. He doesn't waste anything. Your grandmother would have loved him because he, he wouldn't leave the table till everything was off his plate. You know what I mean? You, he, he wouldn't leave none of that spinach on the table. Whatever. And he would finish it all. He 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 doesn't waste anything. Anything he throws, it's, it's looking to land. He's always in position. Everything has power on it because his legs are always under him. And, you know, he he's always in a position that a fighter should be in. Reminds me a little bit of Joe Lewis. People don't talk about Joe Lewis enough. He was always balanced. Jack, Jackie Blackburn did a magnificent job with him where he was always balanced. He was always in position. He was never out of position. And in a way, is is that way. And he could cut the ring down. He could box a little. He could control range a little bit if he has to. You know, he could go to the body. He can, he's, he's, a, he's not a, maybe as complete as the first two guys, in some of those dimensions, he's a little bit more heavy-handed in the dimension of aggression, uh, great body punching, you know, as I said, accuracy, uh, not wasting anything. But he, he's a pretty complete dude. And I'll tell you another guy that's pretty complete. But, you know, we got the fight coming up, uh, and we'll get more of a picture on that. But uh, Haney, Haney's a pretty complete guy. He's a he's a pretty complete guy too. Love that. Um, you know, obviously they're looking at trying to get it finalized or really close. Uh, it looks like Spence and Crawford will finally get it on. Um, in your opinion, Spence Crawford, who wins that fight? Crawford. Crawford, because first of all, he carried his power up. I, I know the other guy's a naturally bigger guy, and he's a horse. He's a he, and I love him, and and I love them both, and. He's a, I mean, Spence, I mean, Spence is, he's a, my son was in the NFL for 14 years as a director of scouting. And, um, you know, in a, and always in a complimentary way, <laughs> they have their own language in the NFL. And he would say with these special guys, he goes, that, that guy's a beast. That, that guy's a beast. And Spence is a beast. He, I mean, he, he's big. I mean, he's big. If he was in the NFL, even though he's only a welterweight, I mean, you'd think of him as a fullback, as the guy going up the middle. And he he is big and strong, and he's the bigger, natural, more natural uh, welterweight in this clash. And he's a good body puncher. He has a great amateur pedigree from the Olympics. And he has an underestimated jab. The reason why he... He took apart Mikey Garcia and didn't allow Mikey Garcia, even though he was a smaller man, Mikey Garcia, but he didn't let him counterpunch and do the things we expect him to do, was because Spence is more than just a sick and destroy guy. If you think that's all he is, you got a problem. He's a guy that knows how to use his jab. He's got a good IQ. He's technically very solid. He can box. He can go catch you. He, he, he can do a lot of things. So he's all of that. So it sounds like I'm picking him. But Crawford, oh, he might be the most instinctual fight I've ever seen. How's that? And, and you can tell from the names that I've thrown out there that I've seen a, a few of them, right? 
And he he is so instinctual. Because Tomato used to say, Brian, Teddy, the great ones, the special ones, they can make it up as they do it. Think about that. Think about it. Make it up as they do it. Create it as they do it. And they don't even know they're creating it. They're, they're like... The great Louis Armstrong creating a new tone. Or Jimi Hendrix hitting a new string. That he didn't even know that it was there. You know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, whoa, I never heard that before. But those great artists, those great musicians, they they create their own tunes, their own notes. Crawford is one of the only guys that I can remember recently in this era of fighters that creates his own notes. Creates his own tunes. His instincts are incredible. And one other thing. He's a freaking junkyard dog. When he gets in there, he's like Sugar Ray Leonard. Again, I love Sugar Ray Leonard, so I, I invoke his name. But Sugar Ray Leonard wasn't just a pretty boy. He wasn't just a talented guy. He wasn't just an Olympian. He wasn't just a flash he was a mean guy when he got in that ring. He, 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 and, and he's getting you. And, and there ain't no quarter there. there. There ain't no deals. No, no, no. There's no satisfaction with anything. But he's getting you. He's, he's taking you. And, and that's, that's Crawford. He, 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 he's, he's that guy on top of everything else. And he... You know, he's complete. He'll fight with you inside. He'll box and control range. You know, he gets a little reckless with his hand placement. Spence does a better job of keeping those hands up better, solid technically, no doubt about it. Crawford depends on timing a little bit more, on making sure it's exactly right. And if it's not, you might catch him clean, you know, a little bit because his hands aren't always disciplined to be up in all times. But, man, he makes up for it uh, in other ways. Like I said, with his instincts, uh, he throws the right combinations at the right time. He really does. He, he knows what the if it's time for an uppercut, it's an uppercut. If it's time for a hook, it's a hook. And he knows how to finish. And um, it should be a heck of a fight. But I, I have to go with Crawford because of what I just laid out there. And one other thing. He might be the greatest switch hitter of all time. Mickey Mantle was a hell of a switch hitter. He could switch. He could hit from the left side of the plate, Brian, or the right side of the plate with power and average. And let me tell you, so can Mister Crawford. I, you know, he he can hit from either side of the plate, lefty or righty. He don't lose nothing, and he gives you a different look that might come in handy at any time. Andre Ward was a good switch hitter too, but I think that Crawford's even better. Um, do you enjoy training fighters? Do you enjoy commentating now more? Training fighters makes my hair grayer. And commentating, for the most part, unless it's a wacko producer, doesn't make it really great. <laughs> to be quite, we're going to be quite uh, transparent about things, which I always try to be. Uh, training fighters takes part of my life away. I'm, I'm grateful for all of it, but I get older. I get older, and I die a little. I die a little. Because in camp, where you 
because you have to worry about things that you don't have to worry about when you're sitting in that comfy seat like you are, Brian, that you got to you gotta worry about doing the job, being a professional, telling the truth, putting it out there for the audience, not betraying yourself, not compromising yourself, but you don't have to worry about who wins or loses. You don't have to carry that on your soul. And as a trainer that's been doing this, as I said, so many decades, it should, you carry it on your soul. You really do. You go to bed every night in camp. I know I do. Uh, dreading. Dreading that, did I do everything right? Is it going to be all right? Are we going to get this right? And why? Why does it mean that much? I'll tell you why it means that. There's a danger to it. All of that. There's so much on the line for so many people. For you. But here's the real reason. You ain't worth diddly squat as a trainer if your fighter, your charge, doesn't trust you. He ain't going to follow you into battle. You think you're going to follow a general or a freaking captain or a corporal or, you know, what whatever into the battlefield if you don't trust the guy? And he says, come on, let's take that hill, guys. Let's go. You go. <laughs> that ain't easy to go up that hill. There's a lot of risk. There's a lot to freaking lose going up that hill. You got to trust what you're there for. You got to believe in the cause. And you got to trust the guy leading the way. All of that. And so you have to gain the trust. So once you gain the trust, which you do if you're a decent trainer and an honest, earnest trainer, I gain the trust of the fighter. Now it's all on you. Now you don't want to betray that trust. What if it don't go right? And it often cannot go right for a lot of different reasons. That don't matter. He trusted you. He believed you that it was going to go right. If he listened to you in this battlefield with all these pressures, all these uncomfortable situations, all this fire around you, this chaos, this fear, this danger. He trusted that it would be right if he followed you. And I tell you, it's hard. I take it maybe, whatever. I don't think you can take it too seriously. It is what it is. And it, it wears you out. And that's why I don't jump to do it anymore. Wow. Um, what, what was it like uh, training a young Mike Tyson at his beginning? Well, I guess if if you were an artist, we talk about art before, uh, it would be like somebody handed you the best paints and the best canvas that, you know, you had ever seen maybe. And now it's up to you to put it onto the canvas. But th the materials were, were, were top, top, top materials. Or if you were a sculptor, that, you know, when I was doing the stuff in, in shop uh, in high school, the ridiculous stuff they made me do, they would give me a clump of clay that was stiff and it was all, it was all dried out. And, okay, form that into what? Into what? It, it's, it's falling apart. It's breaking apart. It's, it, it's not pliable. But if you were a sculptor that, and Mike Tyson was that piece of clay, it was the most perfect piece of clay you ever got that you could that you could 
move it into whatever you wanted to move it into to something that could be great and so something that was outstanding, something that was special. I mean, you just recognize that, you know, there's different levels of talent that you still had to do the work to develop that talent, to give them the tools to make that talent really reach its potential, possibly reach its potential. But it was like your daddy giving you, I never had a daddy give me this, but it was like, I've heard about it though, your daddy giving you a Ferrari. And, and, and say, yeah, but you got to learn how to drive the damn thing so you don't crash it into a wall. You got, and it's a Ferrari. It's got horsepower of a car that you've never in your life had that kind of horsepower given to you in a car. And, and now you got it. But now you also got to freaking go and make sure that you learn how to drive it the proper way so you don't crash it into a wall. But you have that kind of engine, that kind of horsepower. That he stood out. I mean, he's, he walks into our gym with me because he's 12 years old. He's 190 pounds of nothing but muscle. I mean, come on. I mean, other than saying, wow, the next thing, maybe you'd say, where's the birth certificate? Maybe. I don't know. But, <laughs> but, but it was real. I, and he's, and it's like, you know, and then Cuss, after we worked him out, Cuss turns to me and goes, that's your first, that's your first heavyweight champion. I'm like, he's 12 years old, Cuss. What are we losing our minds yet? He, but that's what it was like. I, that's the best description. That was, you said it. Wow. Because the obvious, that's not always obvious was there. That there's a Ferrari in your freaking driveway. But, but again, you got to teach him how to drive the damn thing. You know, <laughs> and you got, you know, how to take those turns and not jump out of the driver's seat into the passenger seat because those turns come. And with that powerful Ferrari, you're prone to jump into the freaking passenger seat. And believe me, he's st as strong as he was, he was still small, weak, a kid here. He was still undeveloped. He was a kid. He was a kid. So you had to teach him, hey, you got to stay in the driver's seat. You can't go into the passenger seat. You got to drive this freaking thing. And there was a lot of psychological teaching, a lot of technical, because as Cuz would say to me, he's Cuz say, okay, I'm telling everyone you're going to be the greatest trainer ever. Go ahead. Prove it. He said, and remember, he said, remember this. He said, you could have, because <laughs> was crazy, but in a good way, you know, just like uh, my son calls these great running backs or great football players beasts in a good way. And Cuz would say, having this kind of talent, this kind of explosiveness that this kid has, it's kind of like having a, having a military weapon, having a, a great bomb. That that can can really do damage if you want to use it to do damage to to the to in the right places. But the trick is, and it's your task, it's your job to create a delivery system 
to get it from here to the target, to the right target, to create a delivery system. Otherwise, it has no military value at all. It means nothing. This kid means nothing. With all this power, all this crazy stuff we're looking at, it means nothing if you don't teach him how to use that. How to get? He goes, otherwise, and then cussed me and crazy, had to finish it his way to get my attention and say, otherwise, it's just going to blow up, make a big hole in the ground, and when it rains, you could go swimming. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? Uh huh. Okay, if I want to go swimming, I'll go to a pool. I don't want to go swimming. I want to make a champion. So, um, you know, and listen, we uh, you had to work. But he, like I said, he, and he was, another thing about him, you know, I talked about Canelo before where the, where he's, this, where he's declining, where the urgency is not there, the, Desire the, the the want, the want. That's one thing Tyson had to want. He he had to want for good or bad. You say what you want about him, but he he was a sponge, ready to to really suck up whatever you put around him. You know because he had the urgency. Where I mean, we talk frank here. We talk real life here. We don't BS. I mean. He was coming out of, uh, you know, a juvenile detention center in Tryon, upstate, where he'd been locked up since he was 11 or 10 for, like, already, by the time of the age of 11, like 30 offenses. Wow. 30 offenses. I mean, like, you don't, like I used to say when I caught all the fights on ESPN, Brian, you didn't need to be the Mason Kreskin to know where that was heading. (laughs) You didn't need to be Notre Dame to know where that was heading. So, you know, he recognized, to his credit, he recognized his opportunity. He had the urgency, the desire, the want to do something with it. Mm. You, you guys, you know, obviously you guys had that, that major falling out, obviously, you know, uh, early on and for a long time didn't speak. What, what facilitated the Rick reconciliation and how did that happen? That was a little weird. What was that old show though? Don't touch your channel. Um, the outer limits. Remember, don't touch. There's nothing wrong with your TV right now. You are in the outer limits. You know? I mean, the, the twilight. The twilight zone. Yeah, but this was the outer limits, and then you had the twilight zone. Okay, Rod Sterling. Okay, you are now in the twilight zone. So I'm calling a fight, doing what I do. It's up in Verona, New York, at the Turning Stone Casino on ESPN Live. And, and I'm going to fight. And at that period, if you remember, Tyson was for five minutes there, was a promoter. I and Mike Promotions, right? And so there was one of his shows. So he's there, right? We don't see each other, of course, nothing, whatever. So I'm doing my job, like you. I don't mind my own business. And I'm watching... I'm calling the fights. All of a sudden, my, my producer, great, great man, God bless him. He's not with us no more, Rob Biner. Just a great man. He, and I miss him. All of a sudden, he gets in my headset. You know about that, you know? And you got to talk back, right? So he gets in my headset. He goes, Teddy, don't want to, don't want to um, unravel you. I don't want to uh, distract you. What is it, Rob? You know, I push my, my 
my uh, but what is it, Rob? Uh, call talk back. Um, Mike Tyson's uh, coming up to talk to you. <laughs> oh, that didn't disturb me at all, Rob. That 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 won't distract me at all, Rob. What? Why don't you just tell me that you know that uh, a spaceship's landed on top of the roof right now? Why? Why don't you just? Why don't you tell me that a B fifty two bomber, uh, you know, is, is coming in on a landing and they missed the landing field and they're coming in and they they may be coming into the. I mean, okay, no problem. All right. So anyway, he, he he's coming. So he calmly decided he was going through a period in his life where he was trying to make reconciliation for things that he felt needed to be made reconciliation. We should all go through that period, Brian, quite frankly. We could all afford to go through that period in life, not just Mike Tyson. And we've all made mistakes, whatever. And But we don't always own up to them. Uh, that's how you judge a man. So does he try to correct them? Does he look to get better? And um, and he was also going through sobriety, where he had, you know he was going through the program, the twelve steps. And I don't pretend to know a lot about it, but I understand, uh, you know, what has to be understood. The, you know, just the concept of it, that that you have to go through steps of, uh, again, recognizing your faults, recognizing things you did wrong, and you know, whatever that, whatever that those steps are in the program. So he was, that was all part of it. That was all part of what was going on. And um, so he decided that he wanted to, um, you know, he wanted to apologize to me. And, uh, you know, could have chose a different time to do it, maybe, a little. <laughs> but, you know, hey, uh, I if someone tells me they're doing something from their heart and they, and doing something that's not easy to do. I know I got a lot of pride. Uh, I know he's got pride. And and when you did something wrong, it's not always easy to say you were wrong. Yeah. And, um, you know, so he uh, he came up and, you know, I, I got up and we were live. And um, turned around. I lifted up, you know, like, and he said, um, I'm sorry. He said, I'm sorry, and um, will you accept it? And he put his hand out. You know, what kind of person would I be if at that point, you know, that I don't accept it? You know, I mean, if a man's saying it, I'm going to take him for for his worth at that moment, that his hand's out, he's saying it, that he means it. And I, so I put my hand out, and then, um, then I think, if I remember correctly, he went past the hand and he hugged me. And, you know, and then he said, I love you. And that was touching. Because um, there's a kid who I did love. There's a kid who I did camp out. There's a kid who I was responsible for. There's a kid who I talked about earlier, you know, where, you know, you have a responsibility for them. That, that, it, that you carry that responsibility very seriously. That you're teaching them how to fight in a ring in a dangerous place. And, and while you going through that process, he has to trust you. And, and and you carry that trust with you every day that you don't, you know, you don't want to let it down as his teacher, you know, as his trainer. You know, in, in many ways, especially when you have a young kid, 
in many ways, a trainer, Brian, is like, it's kind of like a parent. I mean, you're responsible for that, for that kid. You, you got to, you know, you got to teach them right and wrong. You know, it's wrong to throw a jab, lazy, bang, you can get hit with right hand. That's wrong. It's wrong to drop your right hand. You get hit a left hook. <laughs> it's wrong to go straight back. You, you know, um, you, you get, like Romero did the other night, uh, you get hit. Um, you know, and, and there's other things that are wrong, too, that don't only connect to the craft that you're teaching. There's other things because you want to make you you're doing you want to improve the whole body, the mind, the soul, the spirit. The you know you want to teach them how to fight, but you also just want to make them the most complete person. You know we're not dealing with robots here; we're dealing with human beings. And yeah. and as a trainer, you have a responsibility, especially again at that young formative age where he didn't have any direction up to that point, really, quite frankly, in proper guidance. It's your responsibility, yeah, to teach him how to throw the jab right, yeah, to how to slip punches, but also, yeah, right from wrong in life. Yeah, you know, to make sure that he's on the right path. Yeah, to make sure that, you know, he, he you know, that he, that he becomes a better person. I mean, you, you try to do that because I'm of the belief, because was of the belief that if you make a person a better person, they're stronger. And what are you trying to do when you make a fighter? You're trying to make them stronger. <laughs> You're trying to make them stronger in all phases, in all areas, in all dimensions, but you're trying to make them stronger. You're trying to make them better. So one of one of the ways is to become better whole, the whole of you as a person. And if you become better as a person, the whole of you becomes better. Well, it's going to show in all dimensions. You're going to be stronger. You're, 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 going, to, you're going to be wiser. You're going to be, you're going to be better. And, you know, I know if you go in a weight room, what do they tell you to do? The one, the one exercise to do that will strengthen the whole core, the whole body, deadlifts. And nobody wants to do them. Nobody wants to do them. They, they stink. And you, and you got to do that freaking deadlift with all that weight. But it makes the whole core stronger. Well, if you help a person become better, genuinely better, less selfish, just genuinely better as a person, well, it's it's like doing a deadlift. It's going to make the entire core better and stronger. And you know what? You're going to benefit from it. Oh, that's great. That's great, man. Um, all right, we've come to the last section of this show. We do call it the last stand. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Teddy, you just give me the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? Yeah, I'll try. Here we go. In your opinion, the best trainer in boxing is who? Oh, you start off uh, on. I don't think there's enough teachers out there. I don't think we have a lot of good teachers, uh, quite frankly. I really don't. Um, I I think that I think the guys with Crawford are damn good because uh, he's always prepared properly every time 
Every time he gets in the ring, he's got the right, besides technique, but he's just got the right battle plan. You know, those guys, I think, I think they, I think they do a hell of a job. Uh, I also think the guy, uh, there's a fighter that I saw, nobody talks about, Frank Martin. Mm-hmm. And, and the guy that's got him. Derek James. Uh, all right, Derek James. Um, I, I think he does a hell of a job because, because I mean, he might not get the accolades that some of these guys get. I don't give a crap about that. I, I give about uh, the results, what my eyes tell me. And his fighters know how to fight. They know how to do things that you're supposed to know how to do when you freaking make a living as a fighter. I love it. I love it. Uh, Best fighter you trained. Oh, my goodness. I was 21 years old. I didn't deserve to be there. But I was with a guy named Customato. So I was given given the responsibility of training Wilfredo Benitez for the Palomino fight outdoors in Puerto Rico for the welterweight title. He was already not only the junior welterweight champ he had been of the world, where he beat a great fighter in Kid, Sav- Kid Cervantes, Kid Pompelay, uh Antonio Cervantes, Kid Pompelay, not only had won the junior welterweight title by beating him, but he was a 17-year-old. He, he set the record that will never be broke. Your youngest world champion of all time, he won the title at 17. Think about that. Think about the significance. It's impossible. It's great. You can't think about it. You'll burn your brain out. 17, <laughs> 17 years old, he won the world title. And here I am with Customato up in Catskill, New York, and Jim Jacobs had taken over his contract from his father, Gregorio Benitez, and they gave me him to train and get ready for the Palomino fight. He was a great fighter. He wound up also winning the – he won that fight. He also won the junior middleweight title against Maurice Hope. So he was a three-division champion, uh, tremendous counterpuncher. I mean, he was a – I think – I mean, I love Michael Moore. I love – you know, I love a lot of these guys that I've worked with, but I would have to put him probably at the top. Best division – and boxing right now is which division? Probably the lightweights. I mean, you got a lot of monsters there. You know, you got some real, real monsters there. Um, uh, you know, I, I love the welterweights that you're going to be getting Spence and Crawford. I mean, you know, uh, I, I love that 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 happening uh, with that division. But the lightweights with all those guys there, you you it reminds me a little bit like, the 80s, where boxing was really so healthy because you had great fighters, but they were all fighting each other. Yeah. And and you had a great welterweight division. My God, do I have to go down that freaking yeah. no, laundry list? Of, yeah, of, 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 of My goodness, of guys like, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard, Tommy Hearns, Roberto Duran. I mean, just one after another, you know. And then you had Pinnell Whitaker moved up. And, yeah, I, I mean, it was just, it was incredible. So I, right, I think lightweights. Lightweight. Last question. If Teddy Atlas could get his hands on one fighter right now and be his trainer, who would that fighter be? I, that's a tough question. I, it would have to be somebody who I think is still incomplete. Somebody who I think has, has hit a bump in the road, a hump in the road, who has a lot of what you think it takes to be a real good fighter, but 
he hasn't quite been able to get progress down the road or up the road to the next point. A guy who's still incomplete, a guy who's missing something, missing something as far as being taught from a technical basis and mentally um, being taken to that next place. Um, and, and look, I'm not, I'm not auditioning for no jobs, Brian. Don't do me no I, favors. I, no, I, 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 I tell people that I've been asked, guys, and I don't make it. I don't put it out there as news. You know why? It's personal. If the guy don't want to put it out, I'm not going to put it out there because I, I would feel that I'm grandstanding. I'm, I'm trying to point to myself. I'm trying to spotlight myself. That that That's wrong. That's wrong. So I don't – there's been guys not that long ago who have asked me to train them. And you would recognize the name, obviously, right away. Um, and, again, I'm, I don't mention them for – privacy reasons they don't tell me not to but i just don't think it's appropriate to do it um to just put it out there for what purpose to, for what for why if i'm not training them but um i it would be it would be that it would be a guy who's shown ability but he hit a dead end and he hit a then then from not the, not having talent that he didn't have talent but that he didn't get taught how to use that talent to its utmost, you know, technical situation of teaching. Because I'm a teacher. That's what you are. You're a teacher. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're worth your salt as a trainer, you're not just a guy who says, do five over there, do six rounds there, do three there, you know, and then see me later. I'm having a cup of coffee over here. No, you're, you're teaching. You're showing. And you're developing. And part of that development is this the mind because no matter how good they are physically if they're not right mentally there's something wrong and and again if, just to satisfy you because you got that beautiful smile and then you're such a nice guy and i and you just hate to not answer a guy who's such a nice guy really you feel like you did something wrong um i probably wouldn't take the job but if if someone asked me what would interest me would be a guy like Ryan Garcia. Hmm. That that he that he fell short. He's got some ability, but he's fallen short in certain in certain dimensions. Hmm. And technical is one of them, but mental is the main one. And I know, you know, I want to be with someone. I want to challenge. I want, but I want the challenge to have a chance to end with something big, significant, great, and and I want to do something that not everyone could do, and and it starts with, it starts with having a course. It starts with having a person that needs help. That I have to the the checklist for me to train anybody is number one. I have to. Believe that I can make them better. That 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 I will in the first two weeks of teaching in the gym, I will make them better. Whether it's defensively, offensively, uh, whatever it is, their legs, their balance, whatever. In the sweet science, I I have to believe I will make them better. I will make them better. And the second thing is, I have to know that that person believes that I can make them better and wants me to make them better. That, that the, the ego is in the, is, is in the pocket 
not out and say, well, I won so many fights. I don't need to. Well, go keep going somewhere else. Go ahead. Keep going. Here, you need a couple dollars for the bus? Here, go ahead. But keep going. I, I can't help you. I want So I want someone that I feel I can help, that I see that I can make that better, and then that I know wants to be helped, that is willing to be helped, willing to be honest with themselves, willing to put their ego aside and say, yeah, yeah, I got I to gotta get better. I, I, I want to get And then the last thing I do, and I tell you, it's been hard. And it's why I say no. And I've been saying no, again, privately. But um, I got to like the guy. I know I know that sounds nuts to some people. We'll make money! Show me the money! You know, with that great movie with, uh, with Louis de Cuba, you know, with Cuba Jr. and, and with, uh, with uh, what's his name, Tom Cruise. I mean, it was great. Show me the money. But before we got, yeah, money's good. I, I don't pretend to be a guy that doesn't care about money. That's good. That's cool. And I think I've earned the right over the years of being in a position where we can make a little money. I think so. But guess what? That ain't first. That ain't first. Before I yell, show me the money, show me the character. Show, show, show me the decency. Show me a person that I want to be around, Brian. That I want to be around every day. For two months in a freaking training camp, away from my family, my beautiful grandchildren, who just walk past the door and they're going like that. So I want to be around a decent person, a good person, not a person that I'm there just because of the money. I can't do it. I I, I admit I put my hands up in defeat. I I I I don't quit. I just don't start. I I can't do it. I, and again, I'm not pretending to be anything magnificent, anything more than anyone. Yeah, I want to make a dollar, but I want to make it with a person that I feel good about making it with. There you have it. Uh, that's why he's one of the best. Teddy Atlas, one of the greatest trainers, and of course now one of the best commentators out there in the sport. Teddy, certainly appreciate your time, my brother. It is a pleasure talking with you, my man. Pleasure talking. You know what? Fine, I've closed with this. What I just said about me being brought back into the training part of it, it has to be with somebody that's a decent person, somebody I like doing this. I would come back doing it with you because you're somebody I could like. That means a lot to me. I, I love you. Thank you so much. And look, folks, that's what we do on The Last Stand. We bring you the biggest names in the sport. And when you talk about boxing royalty, Teddy Atlas right there at the top. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you again next week.